Good morning. Thank you. I didn't know I had fans. Hey, how many of you guys out there have played a high school sport? Raise your hand just for a minute. Oh, okay. Good. I think a lot of you have. I, I didn't really... I mean, I like sports, but in high school, I really didn't start playing a high school sport until I was in the 10th grade. Uh, because Mr. Coughlin, the cross-country teacher, kept bugging me. He's like, oh, you look tall and skinny, and you can run. You know, cross-country is this uh, event where your team might compete with other two or more teams or one more team. And uh, you run, like, through the woods and over fields and maybe over the road and through water. And, and it's a three-mile course, and every course is different. And so he's like, you can do this, you can do this. And I never ran before, like jogged or anything like that. So I said, all right, finally I gave in. And in 10th grade, I decided I was going to do it. Reluctantly, I did it. So I was jogging and getting in shape and doing the practices. And then the meets would come. And then the, the, one of the meets, I, um, I just, I'm running, you know, I'm running along. And, and we have to go up this big hill and there's like a lot of rocks. And, and I'm like kind of, you know, falling a little bit. And I'm getting really tired and I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know? I don't really want to finish. I just don't want to do this. And so I'm like, what can I do? If I start walking now, I'm going to look like a loser, you know? So I'm walking, I'm jogging, jogging, and I go, and then I go, ugh! And I fake an injury. And I'm like, oh, my leg! Oh, my leg, you know? And I'm like, oh! And all the people are like, oh, you poor guy, we'll come back for you. I'm like, that's okay. And I start hobbling, and I'm just walking with this limp, you know? I'm walking with this limp. And I get back, actually everybody finishes the race and they have to come back and get me. They're like, where were you, you know? And I'm like, well, I injured. I had to, you see, I had to play it out, right? I couldn't just like show up a few minutes later because then it wouldn't, they wouldn't be believable. They had to believe I actually hurt my leg. So I'm, I'm going with my ankle like this and I get in the bus. Oh, poor guy, let's look at him. I'm like, listen, just leave it alone. No, no, it's okay, it's okay, you know. You just want him to leave you alone. And uh, they're looking at it they, and I get home and then the next day the coach says, well, you can't run today next day you can't practice i'm like well you know i feel pretty good he's like no no you injured your ankle and look at you're limping you know so i'm like okay all right all right says you got to lease it wait out two weeks i'm like two weeks i can't even jog for two weeks and he's like yeah because you're hurt and so you know it's so embarrassing to show up at the meet because you got to show up and they make you put your sweats on and everything and then you stand there and watch everybody go by you know it's like you're the loser that didn't get to play you know and i'm like man this sucks. And so the next week I come up to him and I say, uh, Coach, I really feel like I can do it. I can be a part of the next meet. And he goes, and he goes, well, let's see you walk. And so I start walking and he goes, look it, you got a limp. And I'm like, what? Am I that good that I've been faking it this long? You know, I was like, this guy's limping still. And everybody's like, yeah, you got a limp. Sorry, you can't do it. And so another week went by and I was unable to. And I didn't get to compete. I didn't get to share in the joy of my team winning. I didn't get any of that. I missed out. You know, Think about it for a minute. In your life, have you ever had a similar situation where because you gave up on the commitment that you didn't realize the awesome opportunity that could have been? Right? Has that ever happened to you? Man, we can probably all think about something that we gave up on and then because of it we lost out. Or something we didn't deliver on, some commitment that we didn't deliver on and later we regretted it or even never committing in the first place just cost us something. Maybe it was a relationship or a personal goal or a dream that you've had that you weren't able to commit. And if we had just hung in there, man, it could have been different, right? If I could have just stayed, if I could have just kept committed, then everything could have been different. 
In life, commitment will take you a long way. It really will. Think about it. Commitment is what helps us succeed. In marriage, if we stay committed, in our jobs, our careers. I mean, commitment is like a key ingredient to success. Listen, your cell phone company knows how important commitment is, don't they? You see, I went and I bought an iPhone. But they don't just sell you the iPhone. What do they sell you? A two-year commitment. That's right. Two-year commitment. They're like, hey, we know how important it is. And it's going to help you stay. See, it's no different with our relationship with God. God's saying the same thing to us. Listen to this. Pull out your outlines. Go ahead if you haven't done it so already. And the first verse there says, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are, are not able to finish it, everyone who sees will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You know, in this verse, God's implying that really the main thing is commitment. It's the main issue. And you'll notice in your outline, if you pulled it out, that there's a little phrase there, and it says God is calling us to the fill-in is commitment. God calls us into a deeper commitment to Him because He knows it's going to help us stay on track. But what's the problem? Well, most of us, to be honest, we've got commitment issues, right? You've heard that term before. We say that about a person, a guy generally, who won't get married to the woman, right? You've got commitment issues. He will not commit himself because he, um, to one person. He still wants to play the field. He still likes leaving his option open, right? But nobody wants to be in a marriage where a person is half committed, do they? And it's the same thing for God. You see, God has this interesting analogy in the Bible between us and Him. He calls us, the church, His bride, right? Talk about commitment. That's what God is looking for. And we all desire to be a part of something, but a lot of times without commitment. And if we do, we're just kind of playing around. Good intentions will only get us so far. God puts it this way, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You know, each week at the office, every day, there's like this coffee time that happens around 2 o'clock. And Joel or Maria or one of those guys, they make a, you know, Cuban coffee, a cafecito, or we sometimes make a cafe con leche, and uh, depending on who made it, it might be good or bad, okay? Just, uh, I'm not saying who, all right? But Joel is talking with Pastor Bob and he's like, he's like, Pastor Bob, he goes, you know, I love a good cup of coffee, but I like it either hot or cold. I don't like it in between. Right? We don't like lukewarm. Because lukewarm really describes the person that hasn't gone decided either way. They won't fully commit. They haven't refused, but they haven't committed. They're just hanging out somewhere in the middle. And if we could learn to harness this thing called commitment, it would help us to succeed with God and to succeed in life. Today, we're going to meet a judge because we're in the series Heroes and Villains and we're in chapter 13 if you want to get there ahead of everybody else. But he could be basically the poster child for commitment because this guy's whole life was about commitment. And we're going to be introduced to this guy named Samson. And Samson is perhaps one of the most famous judges of all. We already heard a cheerleader over there. 
But listen, if you've never even picked up the Bible, you've probably already heard of him. Who here has heard of Samson and Delilah, the story? Right? Yeah, that's, they're real people. Samson's this guy who's got like this long, long, giant hair and this super strength. And he gets done in because he trusts a woman. Right, guys? No. But he does. <laughs> I'm not implying that to every woman that exists, okay? But listen, his whole life, is marked with commitment. His whole life, that's what it's about. And through Samson's story today, we're going to discover three keys that will help us stay committed. Let's begin. We're going to read in verse 1. It says this, And again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Listen, the first thing that I'd like you to note in your outline is commitment means consistency. Consistency. The very opening phrase of this chapter is that the children of evil again did evil in the sight of the Lord and needed to be delivered from the Philistines. You see, this is the sixth time we've heard this verse in the book of Judges. If you've been following with us, you may have heard it before. And if you go to, if you're part of a growth group, then you've probably understood that the book of Judges is marked by what we call the sin cycle. You see, what happens is the children of Israel, they fall away and follow after other gods And then God sends an an oppressive nation into their land to get their attention. So then they cry out and repent to God. And then God raises up a judge to deliver them. And then they follow this judge and follow God until that judge dies. And then repeat the cycle all over again. And so this is the sixth time we see it. Now, if I was to look at that, I would say this. Israel has a problem with consistency, right? Man, you guys cannot stay consistent. And Israel's failure to be consistent with God continually finds them back at square one. I mean, think about it for a moment. This was to be their promised land, this area that they're in right now. This is to be the land of milk and honey. And yet, because they can't keep committed through consistency, they end up living in a life of slavery. Just like the life they had left in Egypt, right? They're right back where they started, right back to square one. And that's what lack of consistency does for you and me. It stalls our progress. If we're going to commit to something, we have to be consistent. Listen, at the beginning of the year, Carolina uh, inspires me to write uh, um, New Year's resolutions. So we sat down and we made up this whole list of things we were going to do. And one of the things I was going to do was learn Spanish because she speaks Spanish, her family speaks Spanish, and it would be good if I did myself, and I don't. So... You know, like half the year goes by, and then I finally I get this Spanish program. And so I start listening to it. What I would do is I'd get up at 6 in the morning to listen to it before I got ready and go to work. And so after a few weeks go by, Carol's like, oh, okay, so you've been studying, John. Show me what you've learned. Tell me what you've learned. You know, and I'm like, well, I throw out a couple words here and there that I learned. And then I said, you know, I'm going to amaze her, and I'm going to give her a sentence. So I say to her, um, el pupo está... We start over. I didn't think that the pulpo was going to be that funny. It gets funnier. Okay. El pulpo está uh, debajo de la cama. 
And there I am with a proud grin on my face. And Carol's like, are you sure you got that right? And I'm like, honey, I, I got it right. She goes, no, no, no. Are you sure you know what you're saying? And I said, listen, I know what I'm saying. It means the octopus is under the bed. And I'm like, that's what it is. I was on the computer. There was even a picture of an octopus under the bed. And she's like, what is this program teaching you? Now, here's the problem. That's as far as I got because I didn't remain consistent. Because, like, right after that, we went on vacation for, like, ten days, and then we got back, there was responsibilities, and I just got off the habit, the consistency of getting up and studying. And so, the extent of my Spanish for the last four months has been, El pupo está debajo de la cama. Okay? So, if you ask me something in Spanish, more than likely, that's how I would reply. <laughs> Listen, this happens to us all the time, right? Lack of consistency ships wrecks the commitments that we've made. You know, we sometimes, we, we start off so well, don't we? We get going, we're excited about it, but sometimes we make a slip and we kind of miss, we mess up. And over time, if we slip and mess up enough, then eventually we drop out completely. You know something interesting about this verse? I said it appears like five times, six is the sixth time it appears in Judges. This is the only time, and the last time, by the way, is the only time they actually don't cry out to God for help. He just sent the deliverer. Man, did Israel get to a point that they became so inconsistent that they just dropped off when it came to their relationship with God? Like, hey, I'm not even going to come to Him when I need Him? Because inconsistency sometimes can do that in our lives. You know, half the counseling we do in our office could be solved from this one issue alone. If people could remain consistent in their relationship with God, then they would probably not have the problems that they have. One of, one of the first questions we ask people when they come for counseling is, how, how's, how's your relationship with God been? How's your walk with been? How consistent have you been? And more times than not, it's become non-existent. They're not reading their Bible. They're not praying. They're not doing those things. And then they wonder why problems are coming into their lives. You know, sometimes the same thing can happen. They ask this question, how can I be more spiritual? And to be honest, they, there's no magic formula. There's not a spell I can put on you. The, the, the way to become more spiritual is simply be consistent. Pray and read your Bible and draw close to God. Do the basic things, and that's what's going to make you more spiritual. Listen, consistency also means doing what you say you're going to do. Does anyone here have one of those friends that they say, you get plans together with them, and then last minute they cancel on you, right? And it happens so much. Listen, nobody wants to be on that side. We don't want to be the person who gets sold out. And eventually what we do is we just stop asking them because there's nothing more frustrating than the person who doesn't follow through on their commitment. You know, and the truth is, it just seems like our culture is getting there all the time. God says this in, the, in His Word. It says this, But let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. If you're going to commit to something, then be consistent. Listen, if consistency stalls your progress, then the opposite is true too. Consistency is the thing that is going to build you. It is going to build your plans. Think about that. You take a seed, right? And we plant it in the dirt. And then you water it. And you feed it. And if you're consistent to do those things and weed it and take care of it, then eventually it grows and it bears fruit, right? 
the person who continues to exercise daily will eventually realize the positive effects of exercising, won't they? And God encourages each of us to remain consistent. Listen to what he says again. He says, let us not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest the crop if we do not give up or quit. God's saying, listen, if you just stay consistent, there is a harvest waiting for you. Whether it's your relationship with God or the commitments that you make, stay consistent and it will materialize. And over time, it will produce what we've been working for. Listen, if we would stay this way, we would realize success in our relationships, in our careers, and all sorts of things. Listen, see, listen, consistency is the first thing. But let's go on a little bit further here. In verse 3, it says this, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore... Please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and do not eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband saying, A man of God came to me and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall receive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Man, when God wants to do something really great in this world, he doesn't send an army, he sends an angel. And this angel shows up and appears to Manoah's wife and says, You're going to have a baby. But this is no ordinary birth. Because Manoah's wife, she was barren. That means she couldn't have children. And in that time, in that culture, that was a very shameful thing because she couldn't carry on her line. Her husband and they could not bear children. And this unique occurrence where an angel appears and says to a barren woman, you are going to have a child, happens a few other places. And when it does, it's very special. An angel came and told Sarah she was going to bear a child to Abraham. And that child would be the father of the nation of Israel. Hannah, the same thing. She was barren and an angel comes and tells her that she will bear a child. And that, that child was Samuel, who was the, one of the greatest prophets who anointed the first king of Israel. And then another angel visits Elizabeth. And her child was John the Baptist, who would prepare the nation of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. You see... This was going to be something great. But it wasn't just any ordinary birth, but it was also no ordinary baby. This is the first time in history when the baby actually came with a set of instructions. Would you guys, the women are like, yeah, I would have liked that too. You see, this child was supposed to be a Nazarite from birth. And the term Nazarite comes from a Hebrew word that means to consecrate or to set apart. And is not to be confused with a Nazarene A Nazarene was someone who was from Nazareth, the city of Nazareth, and Jesus was a Nazarene, but he was not a Nazarite. Two different things. If you wanted to know more about the Nazarite, it was actually a vow that people took to consecrate themselves, to set themselves apart to God for a period of time for whatever purpose it was that they decided. 
And if we were to turn to Numbers chapter 6, we would find out all the stipulations of this vow. But there were three main things that they weren't supposed to do. The first was that they weren't supposed to drink wine or strong drink. That included like vinegar and even grape juice. And not just that, just to take it one step further, you weren't to eat grapes or raisins or the seeds or the skins. Not that I'm interested in the seeds or the skins either, so I don't know why they didn't have to put that one in there for me. But the second thing they weren't supposed to do was cut their hair. So they were to keep growing their hair. And that's why we see Samson always had his long hair. And then the third thing, they weren't supposed to touch a dead body or a corpse, even if it was a relative or a close person they knew. So they couldn't go to the funeral and mourn with everybody else really close because they weren't supposed to come in contact. Usually the Nazarite vow was something that you just decided to take upon yourself. Okay, I'm going to decide to do this because I want to be set apart from God. However, this one, this one was imposed by God and given to Manoah's wife. In fact, it started not just from his birth, but before she was pregnant. He says, go ahead And you keep this stuff too until you have the baby. Man, God was really serious about this vow. Samson was a Nazarite for life. So this guy, all his life, as he walked down the street, people would see all this hair and they would think, Nazarite. You know, if he was walking around at the buffet table, he says, oh no, sorry, I don't eat grapes. They're thinking, Nazarite. This guy's a Nazarite. And it would be obvious from the very first... uh, I want you to put your eyes on him that he had taken this Nazarite vow because it was supposed to show people that he was devoted to God. But even though you have all that, it doesn't necessarily mean that the same thing is going on inside. Just because the outward appearance looked one way didn't mean inside was actually mimicking that. And so here's the second key that I want you to know about staying committed. That committed takes heart. It takes heart. Listen, the outside can look great, but if there isn't true devotion, then there's not true commitment. God is interested in your heart, not how things appear. Thursday is going to be Thanksgiving Day. And I decided that I was going to run Miami's Turkey Trot. It's a 5K race. So, you know, uh, Evelyn let me know about it. I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to try doing this. It's in the morning on Thanksgiving. And here's the thing. I can come home... And I can spray myself down with water. I can start panting like crazy. I can take one of the dogs and rub him under my arm and make myself all stinky. And I can really impress my wife that I've been really trying hard. But if I haven't really been putting in the miles, then I don't even know if I'm going to be able to finish that race on Thursday, right? I don't even know how I'm going to do it if it's not happening inside. You see, Jesus, in Jesus' day, there was a whole group of people that had this thing down pat, how it looked outside. They did everything by the letter of the law. They didn't leave anything undone. And from all outside appearances, the Pharisees were the most religious of all. But Jesus pointed out that all the external is nothing without the internal. Listen to what Jesus says about them. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Man, Jesus looks on these guys and says, you guys are simply going through the motions. Is there anyone here today? You're simply just going through the motions? You know, you show up every Sunday and it looks good, but really, your private life is something else? God wants more from us than just attending on Sunday. 
If you come to church on Sunday every day or every week, I want to commend you. I really do, because it's a great thing to do. But if there's nothing changing on the inside, then something's wrong. God doesn't want us just going through the emotions, because He realizes that eventually what's inside will eventually come out. If your heart is not in it, the decisions you make will not be consistent with the commitments that you make. Listen, if your heart is not involved, then your commitment will eventually fail. Listen, can you pull out your connection cards for a second? Once in a while, you'll see on the connection card, you see membership class. And membership class here at Calvary Fellowship is not about a club that you join. It's not about wearing a badge or anything like that. In fact, we debated over whether we even wanted to have a membership class. Membership class here at Calvary Fellowship or membership is about commitment. And it's about accountability to help us stay committed because it isn't easy to stay committed, is it? It isn't easy to always have our walk perfect. And so we offer this class because as you go through it, you'll see that it's about being a basic Christian and committing to the things that are simply basic. Not like some super Christian, some you know, person who's way up here, but what normal Christians do. And listen, if you're saying, you know what, sometimes I feel like I am just coming and going through the motions. And you're right, I don't know why things aren't changing. Well, can I encourage you? Go deeper with God then. Sign up. Be a part of the class. It's in two weeks. And be there and say, you know what, I'm doing this because I want to be committed. And I want to stay accountable to that. But maybe you're here and you're not even at that part yet. You're like, I don't even know if my heart is even like, you know, I want to give it to God yet in this way. I'm not even sure. I've been coming. Friends have been inviting me. I've enjoyed it. Or maybe you just haven't, it's, you've kind of missed it a little bit. Listen, God wants you to know truth inside. He wants you to understand those things. And this is what he says. The psalmist says of God, Behold, you, God, desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. You see, God says, I want you to know truth. And I'll let you know truth in your heart when we seek Him. So, you'll see also on the connection card, there's a class called Christianity 101. And that's about getting to know God. Getting to understand what God wants from me and how I can live and grow closer to Him. You see, this word gospel, we present that in the very first class. And a lot of times I hear that word gospel and maybe you say, man, I know I can tell you exactly what the gospel is. And some of us will say, man, it's a Christian word and I don't even understand it. But listen, the first class, that's what it's all about. And I believe that the one, only one thing that can change us from the inside out is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're saying, man, I need a change and I want to know exactly what you're talking about right now, I want to encourage you to check off Christianity 101 and attend it. It begins in January. It's a great way to start off the new year. Listen, there's one more thing that I do want you to see when it comes to commitment, and we're going to start reading in verse 15. It says, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, that when your words come to pass we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. 
It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When, when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord has desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit began to move upon him at Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. The third thing I want you to notice is that these guys, they, what, what, the verses we missed, just so you know, is after the, the first visit to Manoah's wife, she comes and tells her husband. And then her husband says, well, let's play. He shows up again. And when he does, then he can tell us again. So basically that's what happens. And then he shows up again to Manoah's wife. So Manoah's wife gets her husband. And he tells him the same exact thing. And then he says, listen, do this. Sacrifice to God. Sacrifice to God. And then Manoah's like, while they're watching the sacrifice flame go up, the angel kind of just hops in it, whoop, up to heaven he goes. And they're like, oh my God, we just saw God, we just saw God. And they're like, if you saw God, they thought they were going to die. So he's like really scared. Manoah's getting hysterical here. And his wife kind of slaps him, bro, aren't we still alive? Relax, okay? It's, everything's okay. But this is the third thing I want you to notice when it comes to commitment, is that commitment requires sacrifice. Commitment requires sacrifice. When... Uh, <clears throat> When I did go to high school, I did have, uh, there was a parking lot at the school where the student parking lot was, and it was never paved at that time. I think they paved it by now. But it was, you know, it was always dirty and messy, because, uh, and the snow would come, and sometimes when the snow would be melting a little bit, there'd be slush and mud and snow all at the same time. And one day, it was way after school and after practice and everything, and uh, there was only a few cars left in the parking lot. And I got in my car with a friend, and another guy was in a pickup truck with, his, with another friend. And so we're driving around in the parking lot, because it's kind of slippery, and we're doing donuts and spinning around and doing stuff, you know, things we probably shouldn't have been. And then we start kind of playing this game of chicken, you know, where we're like driving at each other in our cars, you know. You're 18, you know, you just do stupid things. Anyway, we're driving at each other, and like, I'm like thinking, okay. And, they, and they're like kind of coming at me with a car, and I'm like, okay. The, the passenger of the pickup van, his name was Mike Sladden. Mike's car was there. And so, oh, by the way, I have a picture of the car. There it is. I had a 73 Gran Torino, that beast. So I take that big hunk of steel, and I back it up to his car, and I'm like, and I'm revving the engine like I'm threatening. If you come with me in my car, I'm going to hit your car. And I'm thinking in my mind, well, when they come close, I'm just going to tear on out of there and head on down the road, right? And so as they come again, they're getting closer, they're getting closer, and they start revving the engine, and they go to hit it. I gas it to get out of there. But the only thing was, I had it in reverse. And I slammed into the back of his car. And I'm like, oh, my God. It always ends like that, right? Somebody loses an eye. So then... I get out of the car, you know, we look at it. I really slammed it because that thing is like solid as a rock. And it just dented the hole inside of his, the back quarter of his, his car. And I'm like, man, I'm 18. I don't want an accident on my record. You know, what can we do here? You know, I said, can I, let me do this. I'll work on your car and I'll fix it. 
So like, okay, I agree to do that. And then, so I, I go, and I don't any, really know anything about body work, but I buy some Bondo, and I like sand the thing, and I'm doing work, and I'm trying, and that's one day goes by, it's a few hours, and I have to go again, it's another day's a few hours. And after a while, I'm getting like nowhere, and his poor car just has a big hunk of Bondo on it, and I'm like, I'm sick of this. I'm like, this is costing me a lot more than I ever wanted. I'm not, I don't want to do this anymore, and I just kind of blew it off, and I never fixed his car again. I never worked on his car again. I mean, have you guys ever been in an accident or seen an accident kind of like that where you guys agree to kind of, no, they don't want to do the, the insurance exchange and the person says, hey, just send me the bill and I'll take care of it, right? Right? And so what do you do? You take the car, you go get it fixed, and then you produce the bill and what happens? It's cost too much. I'm not paying this bill, right? Suddenly they don't want to pay. But in the moment of the accident, we were totally willing to sacrifice. We were totally willing to say, okay, I'll do it. But then when the bill came, we said, uh-oh, no, no way. You see, I find that most of us are willing to sacrifice until it actually costs us something, right? Until it's time to pay. And God is telling us that true commitment is going to cost you something. One day, Jesus is hanging out at the temple with a bunch of his disciples. And they're just looking on at the temple, hanging out there, doing whatever they used to do there. And they're watching people put money in the offering box. You know, and maybe the little thing goes in or something, you hear a big thunk and they're thinking, wow, that, that's a lot. And so Jesus makes this point, this very point. He says, as he looks up, he looked up and he saw the rich putting uh, their gifts into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood she had. Man, the people probably thought these guys with the big bags of money, with all this pomp and circumstance that were dropping in, man, these guys are committed. Look at all that they're giving. And Jesus says to you guys, listen, He says to them, it's not about how much it is. It's about the sacrifice. That's the thing that's important. You know, the guys with all the money, I mean, they probably didn't even think twice about it. It probably was nothing to them. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but hey, you know, I got more where that came from. But this poor old woman, it was all she had. Out of her very sustenance, she sacrificed from her life to give. And Jesus is telling us that the very essence of commitment is sacrifice. It's because commitment has a price. I mean, when we think about it, everything really requires sacrifice. Everything in our life does, if you really want to know. I mean, we're constantly giving up one thing for another. You know, if I take more time to be at work, then I need to sacrifice time to be with my family, right? I mean, if I take money to buy something over here, then I sacrifice money that could be spent here. So everywhere, really, we're, we're, we're making a sacrifice. So maybe really the question should be, what are we sacrificing for? Are we sacrificing for God and our commitment, or are we sacrificing to something else? You see, Jesus put it this way, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, think about it. Have you ever tried, think for this verse, have you ever tried driving while looking through the back window? Has anyone ever tried that? I really wanted to illustrate this point, so I, t- I took a video of myself driving backwards, looking through the window, and I want to show it to you right now. No, I didn't. <laughs> I am not crazy. And I don't think you guys are either. Because you know what? 
We already know what would have happened, right? We, every one of us knows what's going to happen. If we have one hand on the steering wheel, but we're looking out the back window, we're going to crash, right? We're going to crash. It's the same for anything that we sacrifice that is not in the direction that we're going. You're going to crash. Listen, if you're committed in a marriage and you start looking around every other place except where you should be looking, what's going to happen? It's going to crash. You know, we already know where something like that is going to happen. Listen, the next time you have an option, I'm committed to this, but you know what? This is distracting me. Listen, already know ahead of time. Just say to yourself, I know where this is headed. I know where this is headed. Repeat after me. I know where this is headed. That's right. The next time you guys are in a commitment, you're doing something and you're like, this is taking my attention. I need to sacrifice to this. Just say that in your head. I know where this is going. It's going to crash. Because it will. Listen, many times we're afraid to commit to things to God because it's a sacrifice. I mean, it's a sacrifice to volunteer here and be here a couple times a month and give your time. It's a sacrifice to tithe regularly every time you get your paycheck. I mean, we would love to do those things, don't we, though? Man, I want to be like God. I want to do the right thing. We have great intentions, but when it comes down to it, if it costs us, sometimes we don't follow through. When I first started preaching, um, I used to get really, really nervous. I really did. I, I didn't like to preach, really. I mean, I like, kind of like it, but I don't. And uh, I used to be so nervous that I would get up on the morning to go preach, and I would actually have what are called dry heaves. Do you guys know what that is? That's when you have a throw-up reflex, but nothing comes up. It's like when you see your cat trying to hack up a hairball, you know, and you just want to give him a little extra boot so he can get that out. It's kind of like that. I would have those in the morning because I was that nervous inside. I'm like, God, why are you calling me to do the very thing I don't want to do? You see, I'm, I'm not like my wife. If you know my wife, Carolina, at the 10-minute party, she loves people looking at her. She, she's very comfortable in that. I do not. I am not comfortable with all the people's eyes on me and kind of being at the center of things. So, if you guys could like just look away for the rest of the service, it would really... It would really help me out. Listen, I don't want to be in the center of things. But you know what? Before I even thought about ministry, as I was reading my Bible regularly, there was a verse that stood out, and for some reason I circled it and I wrote it down. It was Jeremiah 1.17. And I was like, God, this is my verse. I don't know why it's my verse. And it says this, Get up, get dressed, go out and tell them whatever I tell you to. And don't be afraid of them, or else I'll make a fool of you in front of them. I'm like, Lord... What the heck does this mean? I thought you were a loving God who was nice. Why do you have to say it that way? But the thing, he was, he was hitting me right where I needed to be hit because he knew I needed to hear it that way. He knew that, man, you are a nervous person when it comes to these kind of things. And listen, just don't be afraid. Just go up and do it. And so even though it was going to cost me stuff, even though I've gone through pain and agony <laughs> and frazzled nerves, I still do it because I believe it's what God has called me to do. Listen, there's nothing that you can sacrifice to God that you're not going to get back. Sometimes we are afraid to give, we're afraid to do, we're afraid to serve, whatever it is, because we're afraid that it's not going to come back to us, that it's all we're ever going to see of it. Listen, God tells us that the sacrifices that we make for Him are always worth it, all the time. 
Yeah, it's true. Your life with Jesus is going to cost you something. To be a true disciple, it's going to cost you. But we're challenged by God to give and serve and devote ourselves to Him. But He will always pay you back. You can't outgive God. Listen to this last verse. It says this, Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for My name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and, in, and inherit eternal life. God's saying, listen, you can't, you're, if you're afraid to sacrifice, just go ahead and do it. Because you're going to get it all back. And much, much more. Yes, commitment is going to require sacrifice from you and I. Listen, I'm going to kind of conclude with this one statement that was in, we read it actually in the book of Judges. It's verse 5, and I've asked, I think Pedro's going to bring it back up again. But it says this, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Notice something in this verse. It says, He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Man, I'm thinking, you should read something different. You see, Samson was a tribe was of the tribe of Dan. These people, the Philistines, man, they weren't even from the Middle East. These were guys that came from the Greece and the Mediterranean on ships and they inherited the land right there on the border, right there on the ocean. And they, they came in and they took it over. And that land actually belonged to the tribe of Dan, the very tribe that Samson was from. These Philistine people, man, have caused the Jewish people problems for generations. You see, it could have read different. It didn't have to read, he began. It could have read, he completely got rid of them. But instead, the Philistines will plague the Israelites for another four generations. Not until David faces Goliath and the battles after that, really, do they finally get rid of the Philistines. And the truth is, these guys were their most notorious enemy. They still really live with this idea today. Do you realize that their land of Israel that was called Palestine, where the Palestinians are there, was actually named that way as an insult to the Israel, people of Israel. You see, in around 150 AD, there was a revolt by a guy named Bar Kokhba against the Romans. He was Jewish. He was an Israelite. And because Israel revolted, Hadrian the emperor said, listen, from now on that land is going to be called Palestine. It was the Roman form of Philistine as an insult to the people of Israel. All of this probably could have been avoided if Samson had just remained committed. Man, can you imagine what his legacy could have read? Completely got rid of him if only he had stayed committed. Let me ask you a question. What do you think your legacy is going to read? Will it be tripped up that only says you began but didn't finish because we couldn't stay committed? God doesn't want that for you. I certainly don't want that for you. I don't want that for my life. But if it's the case 
then we need to stay committed. We need to stay committed to the things that we've committed to. We need to stay committed to God. That the legacy in our lives might read, man, they completed. He didn't just start. John finished. And he finished well. And that's what I want for each one of us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. You're such an awesome God. I think about the verse that Israel didn't even cry out, and by your grace and mercy you still sent them a Savior. Lord, I thank you that there's a Savior in our midst. His name is Jesus Christ, and He lives and walks among us today. Lord, give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom to make decisions that stay committed to you. Lord, I pray that one day our legacies will read, we finished the race well. And that we might one day in heaven hear those words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I pray that for everyone in this auditorium today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.